setup. I'm Chris Grace. I'm John Accardo. And uh, John, I have something very kind of not good to show you. Great. I love seeing not good magic. Um, so let's assume that uh, I was able to get a peek of something. Okay. Uh, we're just going to have to assume that part of it. Okay. Um, and I had you like right on a pad. Great. A two-digit number between um, 50 and 99. Okay. Um, so I was bullshitting or whatever. Tell me what the two-digit number is. 55. Uh, 55? Yeah. Uh, okay, cool. Um, so, you know, I've been exploring some uh, math options recently. Uh-huh. Um, oh, there's no way I would be able to do this. <laughs> uh, do some jibber-jabber while I... Uh, some jibber-jabber? Yeah. Uh, are you doing a magic square right now? Is that what you're filling in? Is that the uh, jibber-jabber I need to we'll be? We'll see. Okay, fine. I won't... I. Um, oh, I'm catching up on Game of Thrones. Uh-huh. I'm, I just finished season six today. Uh-huh. So I'm like a whole season behind right now. Oh, wow. Um, and since it's been three years, I don't mind spoiling what I saw today. Uh, but I also don't remember the stuff that happened before this season. So like, there's this whole thing with a baby that turns out like... You've seen young Ned Stark visit his sister and then there's yeah. a baby which you find out is Jon Snow. And that was yeah. a big reveal and I did not know what it meant. Um, what was your number again? 55. Okay. Keep going. <laughs> so I had to Google it afterwards. Uh, and I was like, that means that Jon Snow is probably the baby of this guy. I'm like, who the fuck is that guy? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm pretty sure it was the blonde dude that's Daenerys' brother. Uh, a spoiler alert for three years ago for yeah. season six of... I think the rule on spoilers, I feel, is you get six months, right? Oh, I mean, not even six months these days. You get a couple weeks. Oh, I know, but you're, I feel like you're supposed to give it six right. months. I, this has been three years, so I don't feel bad. Um, uh, yeah, so I, but I don't, I, you know, I I don't know why. These Things keep happening, but I yeah. don't remember who these people are, so I'm like, I don't know who, I'm, I'm supposed to give a shit about this person. Right. See, now here's the problem. But is, the season was good. Uh, the season was very good. Uh, imagine that I'm actually like, have script for this part, and right. that I could do the math part of this faster. Sure. Um, because... I can hear him crossing a lot of things out on whatever. Yeah, I'm, he's I'm making some mistakes here and there, and you would think that I would be better at this as an Asian person. Sure, that I should. That just, was the presumption I had. I mean, that was presumption I had. Yeah. Oh, and I just fucked up. Um, you must be from West Asia. Yeah, <laughs> far West Asia, west of Philadelphia. Some call back to a magician at the castle who. He said he was smart. He was good at math, but not East Asian. He was fast with math, but not East Asian. Not fast. East Asian. Fast. And then East Asian was just such a specific, a specific call out for like. Yeah. Okay. Know. So, uh, let's say I didn't know what your number is. This is in my version wow, of a magic that's square. That's huge. That's yeah. Hold on. What's great about this is look. If you look that's at this, seven by five. That's yeah. so big. Three plus eleven is fourteen. Yes. Four four is eighteen. Plus twenty one is thirty nine. Plus eight is forty-seven. Plus seven is fifty-four. Is uh, fifty-five? No, that's plus four. That'd be yeah, plus we got that'd 55 be fifty-eight. Right. Four and forty-one is forty-five. Plus two is forty-seven. 47 plus, and that's fifty-five. Great. And if you look at the four <laughs> corners, four plus three plus six plus one is that's 55. thirty-three over there. This was eleven plus zero was 65. 10, 18. Uh, okay. So to be 40. honest, I don't know how to do a magic square, but I kind of think I feel, feel like I got it. I actually one that one might actually be fifty-five. Well, I feel like 10, we 18. might have gotten it because if I go 4 plus 11 is 15, 18 plus 7 is 25, plus 8 is 33, 34, 39, 41, uh, 48. 50, it's close. <laughs> that's 57. Here, this is 4 plus 7 is 11, plus 8 is 19, plus 6 is uh, 25, 35, 30, 35 37, 38, 43. Boy. 52. 50, that that was 55. That was 55. Oh, well, it's easy. That was a 55. This will yeah. be easier if you can see the pattern. Cool. <laughs> I colored. These are fucked up. Yeah, those shouldn't have been. Technically, the number is 99. That you yeah, have there, you I wrote out the number 99. Okay, so what we're looking at, can we take a picture of this and put it on Instagram? Sure. Okay, cool. Uh, this I'm, is my attempt at a different kind of magic square. I just made up So today. this is original. Yeah, I just made this up. Cool. Oh, I like it. Um, the concept of it. It's so slow. I literally only, this is the third time I've done it. I did it twice for Eric and he, he, he actually thought it was an interesting idea, but too slow. <laughs> it did take a long is. time. I spoiled a lot of Game of Thrones for us to get to yeah. this point. So what we're looking at is a seven by five magic square where the numbers in a certain pattern add up to the number. That's the part that's really slow for me. And I was, while I was doing it, I was like, this is as slow as I learned how to do a real magic square. And then I had most of the grid written out. 
And what you heard as crossing out was me coloring in boxes with a, a ultraviolet marker. Now, I see. Now I'm holding it, which I have in my pocket. Now I'm holding an ultraviolet mark, uh, light, black light, yeah. pointing at the grid, and then the boxes that are lit up pink because of the marker, it's like sort of digitally make five. Well, right. they make a nine nine because I lost track of what number I was doing. Right. Uh, so that's a pretty cool idea. I don't know. Subverts the magic square a little bit. I, I knew it. Yeah, it needs some. Uh, yeah, I don't know what to do with it, but I was like, kind of interested in it. It was one. It was like I was like, well, maybe I'll just try working this out and see if it, there's probably a fourth version of this, fourth draft of this that's interesting mm-hmm. that doesn't take so long. Right. Uh, and then I also was like, the thing is, like Eric was just genuinely impressed because we saw a magic square at Magic Castle. He uh-huh. was like, he was just impressed by a regular magic square. Sure. And that magic square, did they? I, I, my theory on the magic square is, I think it's only really impressive when you do not it only feels magical when, they when you the when you don't know the number yeah, yeah so they when you, when you allegedly don't know the, the number. one we saw was a was they got the number somehow okay. ahead of time so that he we saw him writing out the square but we didn't know what the point of it was sure. so what I, yeah i agree i don't it's not even magic to me if it's like oh you're number 61 well and then you right. do it then it's just a math demonstration sure um so that's that. <laughs> well, we'll see you next week, everybody. Yeah. Uh, I have gotten back a response on the audition. You mentioned that. You texted me about it. So um, uh, Chris has gotten the papers to officially uh, audition for the Magic Castle. Yes. Membership. So John's going to be my sponsor. Yeah. Taylor Hughes is going to be my reference. Okay. What's There's the difference between that? I have no idea. Okay. I, I think the difference is that when I send you the link to fill in something, I think sponsor might have more to fill in. Got it. Um, and then I have to do three to five effects in eight to ten minutes. Okay. Uh, the date, the earliest date they have is May twentieth, which I'll ask for, but it's like May twentieth or June fifth or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, so yeah, we'll see. May twentieth. Cool. I mean, I figured like it. It doesn't really hurt me to try. Like the it's it's like there's no. It doesn't cost me any money. It doesn't. Right. You know. Um, and the dues are not very expensive. Yeah, compared to being an associate member, right? It's like half of it's like half of that. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, have you thought about what you're gonna do? I mean, do you have a do you have a clear idea? No. Cool. I don't. I mean, I've thought about like uh, some various card things, like either I like two of the things I showed you before. Right. Are, those are things I was thinking about doing. Cool. Um, and also the. The one I I think I show oh the one I did for Aaron at your house when right. she had a card and I sort of like improv my way to figuring out the connection sure. to that. So a lot of the tricks you show me involve some improv like this trick you just a showed lot me before tr- we started recording improv bullshit. It was a lot of improv bullshit. Yeah, I mean I feel like that's my strength. It's like some people have card manipulation. Right. I have the ability to bullshit. And you're East Asian smart. Yeah. So now this magic square thing, if I could do the number, so what what I. What I find appealing about it that I can't do right now is I love the idea of adding up the numbers in front of people and just insisting that they add up to the right, right number. Right, that's really funny. Like, and just like haranguing them for like not getting it right. <laughs> like, right. that's my favorite part of it. It would also be a funny <laughs> test to see if people are actually following the math. Yeah. I feel of most squares, this magician's just yelling out to you specific numbers, yeah. like 17 plus 9, of course, you know, is this. Yeah. And I wonder if people just are just... Tr- doing actually doing it in their head or if they're just trusting that when they write 63 <laughs> next to it in a big red marker yeah that, that is correct yeah i wonder if you like could do that for the right audience and nobody questions it <laughs> and they all just go yeah that that is 55 yeah uh now other so basically i have this grid of numbers and i want to create a bigger number out of it using the grid like pixels basically right so other ways i've thought about doing it were like having like a glue stick like gluing putting glue down on the squares and then like throwing sparkle like confetti at it cool. at the end yeah that'd be cool. i'm not sure how that i'm also not sure i was specifically thinking like if i did that at an audition i bet they would be really pissed at me for it getting like glitter all over the room probably would as i left so you would be leaning into both stereotypes you'd be leaning into the asian stereotype and the gay stereotype <laughs> yeah, <laughs> math like, and glitter just what be like this is too hard <laughs> and throw glitter at the page and then the other idea i had was uh, putting like, putting imagine like a white square that has a number on it, but has a magnet behind it. Right, and they all fall off. All fall off, or throwing a bunch of sponge balls with chims in them 
at the screen at the board and SpongeBob stick to the red SpongeBob stick to the squares that like make the number. Oh, I see. That one would probably be the most difficult. Yeah, the, the other one would still is, have to get them. Like you'd still have to get them in enough places I know, to like get thirty-five. Six of them would stick to one magnet. Exactly. And, Whereas a bucket of confetti or them all falling off would be yeah. more consistent. The other all falling off one. The other idea to go along with that would be to put white squares that had magnets that had numbers on them that had like little invisible thread on them and just pull them all off at the same time. Yeah, that'd be cool. So those are other ideas I might do. But I saw this ultraviolet light thing on Amazon for like $5 last night. Right. I could try that. Uh, Something funny happened to me the other day. Oh, what? So, well, I was called in last minute, like a day before, to fill in for Robert Ramirez at Magic Bar on Monday night. He was doing this past Monday and Tuesday. Mm Mm-hmm. But, uh, and while we can't get into this, unfortunately, he had another commitment that took him away from Magic Bar on Monday. Yeah. Um, which he had, a, he had um, a Postmates that he had to pick up. Yes. Uh, he, you know, duty calls. Yeah. Um, he had to go get that guy his, uh, his Tatsu. Um, <laughs> anyway, so I was his backup. So what I'm, time do you get the call? Um, I, w- well, I got notice from Robert, like, hey, here's a maybe about a week earlier. Oh, okay. And then on Saturday, late Saturday or, uh, night, Ben said, just so you know, Robert has you as his backup on Monday. I went, got it. <laughs> Robert has you as his emergency contact. Right. When it comes so to magic. <laughs> on Sunday, Sunday night, I get from Robert, definitely, there's a seven o'clock and a nine o'clock at Magic Bar. Sunday night, I get a, a definitely cannot do the seven o'clock. Um, hopefully I'll be done in time for the nine o'clock. Uh-huh. And then he said, we, you and I could even do like a two person show or something. We could, you know, do a, do a thing. And I went, sounds like a lot of fun Monday morning roll. So I tell Ben, I text Ben that Sunday night. Uh, he goes, okay. And then Monday afternoon, Monday morning afternoon, I got a text from Robert going, I'm my, I'm not going to be there. My call time for, for either one. Yeah. My call time for where I have to be is eight fifteen PM. Um, <laughs> okay. So I went, okay. like he could have done the first one then. Right. Uh, Well, uh, yeah, he was on a wild goose chase that day, which hopefully we can have him back on to talk about uh, once he's allowed to talk about it. But that was he told on Tuesday we had lunch and he told me the whole story and went, holy shit. Wow. It was wild. Anyway, so I did uh, Magic Bar on Monday. Now, granted, I have not done a show since maybe January. Uh, Since Magic Bar last time. Probably. Yeah. And even then, the times I hosted Magic Bar, I would do one piece maybe. Oh, but right. I like you hosted... When I saw it last time, you were hosting, hosting for yeah, Robert. Robert, right. Oh, so okay. I would do like one... I think with Robert, I did maybe two or three tricks or right. something with him. But my whole set, I hadn't done in a long time because, you know, since January or so, because my other gigs have been strolling gigs. Yeah. And they've been their own... I have my own material for that, and then I've been on this tour. So I haven't done this exact act since the last time I did Magic Bar. So which, similar to your Castle close-up act? Uh, without the... The coins, yeah, right, uh, yeah. So coins. the coin, but all, the castle close-up act is in it in its entirety. Right. The clap and cheer, the uh, blindfold, and the, um, the catch me if you can. Right. Uh, but then there's some other things that I I pulled because some of the materials weren't ready. Um, there's a couple things like my I, like I do an extreme burn that needs to get replaced. Just uh-huh. as, uh, the bill change. Just those bills are kind of old and don't have a lot of rigidi- rigidity. Oh, you anymore. mean the actual bills need to be not the trick needs to be replaced. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> like, like you need to replace that part of your act. Right. Oh, take it out. No, I mean like. Put new dollar bills right in. <laughs> so i just need to go to the bank and uh i might have spent the 20s that were in that i needed the money and so <laughs> people generally use real money for those right um yeah generally yeah. i could probably buy fake like hundreds or something i mean are, uh, but are there will. things where you are uh, oh actually on the sme talk somebody recently was like i found a great source for fake hundreds fake hundreds mm-hmm. because you most of these things you have to alter them somehow right and they're like they're sort of committed to that trick for the right. Of, right. So like if you're putting two, $400 bills into, right. That's an expensive trick. All of a sudden. Uh, How'd yeah. it go? Uh, you know, it's funny. I was at the first, so the seven o'clock I bombed. I just, oh. I straight bombed. Yeah. It was really bad. So Ben was hosting. Yes. Oh, um, and I didn't sulk about it. Well, do, what did describe in magic world? What does bomb mean? Remember when I asked you why you don't like something's rotten? Yes. And do you remember what your answer was to me? What did I? No, I don't remember what I said. I said, uh, why didn't you? Because you were telling me that you did not like the musical Something's Rotten, and yeah. I enjoyed it fine. And I said, oh, what didn't you like about it? And then you said, uh, I just didn't think it was funny or good. <laughs> <laughs> that was, those were your words right, to me. Right, right, right. I would say that I was, I was yeah, the I'd... Something's Rotten of that show. Ooh. Uh, the audience just didn't think I was funny or good. Um, I think I was, yeah, I, 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 was, I just felt rusty. I, was, I felt yeah. like that show I was just dusting off. The, uh, but like the, mechanically, the did anything go wrong? No, nothing went wrong. Um, Interesting. So Wait, that's this... why I didn't sulk about it. Was because I uh, exactly because the 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 effects were still 
good effects yeah. and i think at the end a couple of people were still saying they really enjoyed it i just i just like from the moment they walked in the energy they had right i you know you don't notice it minute by minute but halfway through the show i went oh i've lost them like the, this is yeah, the completely yeah. different audience than was here walked in 30 minutes ago you're also um, cursed by knowing how other people have reacted to similar things uh, as opposed to an audience doesn't know you know, sure. they've never seen it. So they're just, even some of them might be like, I really liked it. And you're like, you guys sucked. Right. <laughs> and that may be the case. I would say that, um, yeah, I didn't sulk about it. And when afterwards to Ben, I was like, oh man, I just, I just bombed. And he went, no, you didn't. I'm like, yeah, no, Ben, I bombed. And he goes, well, you know, and then he kind of, he, he would, yeah. he accept, he would like kind of surrender to it with me. Now, um, this kind of goes against your theory about like, or Teller's theory that like, you know, you can just have a an effect that works as opposed to stand-ups or other art forms. You know, the thing well, about, like... Because you're saying the effects worked properly. Right. And you still feel like you bombed. Right. I would say that that is why I didn't sulk. Because all the effects went wrong and there was no embarrassing moment. Right. Right. I have a story so a about a time still. I bombed at the castle in the palace... And I was doing, I had seven minutes and I did one effect and that effect fucked up and then I had to leave. <laughs> that sucked. Yeah. Uh, did you, did you not have to do a curtain call for that too? Oh, I did. <laughs> yeah. Have I told you the story? Yeah. I think yeah, you I said left you had to come and I had to come out. back five minutes later. <laughs> you had to sit for five minutes walking back in front of the audience you just died in front of um, with the house lights on. I got to watch all their faces in real time, which was a bummer because that particular instance I was like doing really well. I was killing. The audience really liked me before that trick fucked up. Uh. I was doing it very well. So this was not like that. There was never just, you know, reliable jokes weren't getting laughs. I was just in a, and then like that kind of got inside of me and I couldn't sort of break the funk. Uh-huh. Um, but I mean, I, uh, it was a nice, it was an, it was nice to know that halfway through when I realized I was bombing, mm-hmm. when I did have that conscious sort of thought, it didn't crumble me for the rest of the show. I kept doing it with the energy I'd always be doing it. It didn't affect me. It didn't affect the experience that I was there to give, right. I would say. Uh, so because I think sometimes you can see that on performers who... Yeah. I mean, that's probably... Something like maybe early on, they, they get a weird heckle or something, or someone walks... To, just something happens to them at the top of the show, yeah. and you can see it just affect them for the rest of it. I was pretty good about just still just kind of being myself and, and doing my thing. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes people get angry at the audience. Right. And having been an audience member when I was enjoying a show, sometimes that ruins it for me where I'm like, yeah, but I was enjoying it. Like right. you didn't have to turn on everybody. Right. Um, and so, then how did the second show go? Second show went fine. Yeah. Uh, second show was great. Standing ovation. Yeah. Standing ovation. Um, uh, I, I was offered herb popcorn being thrown. Yeah. Yeah. The garlic and thyme popcorn, uh, thrown at me. Um, there were people brought flowers and it was very, it was a very special experience. No, but, uh, but the second show was, it was really good and just a solid show. So, yeah. And I have, and I, I went back Tuesday night cause I was hanging out with Robert and we had lunch together and I just went and watched his seven o'clock. Yeah. And I don't see shows from the other side of that particular bar a lot. Right. Uh, anyone who's been to magic bar knows that it's very long, two very long rows. It's imagine very, a sushi bar. Which imagine is what a it sushi is. Bar. Yes. It's, it's a long sushi bar. And so these two rows. So you're good at, Basically, the only people you're really aware of and are really connecting to are the three or four people around you in front or to the side of you. Right. Um, I was sitting there by myself, and so there were a couple people in every direction of me. Um, what I what Here's what I think happened, and here's what I think is a, a big part of how I lost the audience. Because also, Ben had a weird interaction with him, too. He couldn't quite get them get them either. He, he talked a little bit at the beginning, and he didn't go for his joke. So part of it was just kind of a strange audience. Here's what I sort of attribute some of the energy to. Tell me if you think this is crazy. But there was one group of about four or five people that were broken up like on, on a stage right between the first and second row. So three in the back, two like three in the uh-huh. front, two seats in the back. There were it was someone's birthday, maybe six people. Someone's one of the guys' birthday. They were very nice. Yeah. They were having a really good time. And they were really, really talkative, and they would out like they would uh, verbalize a lot of things. They right. would like, to me during a trick or something like that. Right. Or a trick would end, and instead of someone clapping, he would be like, "Oh my god, you're a witch," or something like that. So I mean, even when I was <laughs> how not, often do you hear the "you're a witch" joke? Uh, it's it's because I know, have heard daily. It, I don't know. I have heard it like in audiences watching you guys. I've heard it like 10 times. Sure. It's, I mean, you know. I don't like that. Uh, <laughs> I I don't like it when the audience is hacky as well. 
Right. Uh, and they don't think... I mean, I'll take that. I mean, the number one It's a is, good reaction. Can you make stones that my wife disappear or whatever? Oh, any, really? any Yeah, that's the number... Because that, that's the number one, and it, it just is so annoying. What if someone was like, can you make my depression disappear? <laughs> oh, fuck. <laughs> but, like, a lot of... Anytime there's food around, are you gonna, especially at a bar, are you going to make my drink appear? Oh, are you going to make that... Uh, are you going to make that drink disappear? Oh, are you going to make your dinner disappear? <laughs> Kill yourself. You're like, I wish I could make you disappear. Right. So, everyone has their own little responses to them. Uh, whatever. Yeah, just, you're a witch thing is actually the thing is they think it's like a good thing like yeah 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 uh, i'm like i just did a fucking card trick your standard is very low if you think yeah. that's what witches go around you i mean going. that's what the crucible is about at right. the beginning of the crucible they're doing any card at any number <laughs> right oh i saw goody frocker <laughs> <laughs> produce the nine of clubs at position 36 um, um so you got that group in the right so this group is there the, and, and my my theory on heckling is I see so many insecure performers, some big name performers too that I will not call out by name, mm-hmm. uh, but shut down anybody that says anything. Yeah, my my outlook when I perform is I say like I'm I I think of it sort of I I said this before it's almost like a service industry. You wanted a cool experience. I'm doing my best to give you this experience. Right. right. I'm gonna do my best to create a situation. That feels impossible, feels like it is defying sort of physics. And if you just sort of, you know, reach out to me and sort of meet me halfway, we can work together to do that. If you sort of turn off your brain and kind of let your heart take the wheel for a little bit, I'll do my part if you kind of help me out. That's sort of the way I look at it. But other than that, please, this is your experience. I want you to do this. I I feel some magicians feel so entitled, like, you're going to smile, you're going to clap, and that's it. Then you're going to let me do everything. Mm -hmm. Um and I think you see it very ego-driven. And then it doesn't become about an experience that everyone can share. It becomes a very one-sided, like, let me show you how cool I am. Which is, I think, where you get hecklers. Because it's like, fine, if you just want to try to fool me, then fuck you. Right. But if you try to make it in this sort of fun, welcoming, loving experience where the whole audience kind of becomes this one thing to enjoy this cool moment that you can sort of help foster for them. Um, I think that is kind of what you should be doing. I think that's sort of where the where the, the, the magic can lie is really creating that energy for an audience. So I think when performers come at it the wrong way, any sort of uh, comment at all from the audience is shut down aggressively as a, excuse me, I'm doing this, you're welcome. Um, Maintaining your alpha status. Right, there. I'm number one. For instance, I was in a, sh- uh, a cl- show in the close-up gallery with a, a decently well-known performer, um, pretty popular, who did a piece to music the music was um dra- was from jurassic park i'd say the most notable magician that uses jurassic park music is shoot so i'm gonna say it was not shoot because uh, <laughs> he has a, he closes most of his close-up shows with this now jurassic this performer you saw was a japanese man he was a japanese he was a mentor of yours yes his last name is ogawa but it's not shoot no it's not um so uh okay. this was not i just will say that anyone who knows shoots act go oh there's he does a jurassic park thing um but this person did <laughs> jurassic park I can't even remember what the trick was, to be honest with you. But he that he played the uh, famous part of the Jurassic Park theme. Na, I was na, sitting na, na, uh, exactly. Uh-huh. It, at least it would play that piece if it was not that particular part where right. this happened. So someone sitting sitting in the audience. Oh as, no! Did they just go like it's Jurassic Park? Yeah, a friend of mine. He was sitting next to me. He went, "Oh, I love Jurassic Park," and he got an aggressive like, "Be quiet!" from the magician. And I was like, "Fuck it, dude!" He's he he said a nice thing. He said right, a nice right, loving right. thing. He's appreciating this experience. That's the kind of – so I think magicians are too quick to bat away that kind of stuff. Well, also, if you don't want that, don't put Jurassic Park in the act. Like, right. that's not an obscure score. Right. You know. Um, what what was happening at that moment when he – She was queuing up an effect. He was, like, getting into it. And he's like, now I just went from all these dick jokes to now I'm going to talk about something sentimental. <laughs> you know, all that, that sort of, like, super force and not earn a transition right, that so many right. performers try to do. Um, right. I bounce off of life the way I bounce off of electrified fences when I was a child at Jurassic Park. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't um, <laughs> so, uh, right, you see it all the time. People are like, and you ha- feel like that is an expression of insecurity. Um, I, I guess that is how I would label it. Yeah. Uh, I, I maybe maybe not even insecurity. That's probably part of it. I think my go-to would say oh. it's a, it's a it's a place of arrogance. It's I, like I'm entitled to this. Fuck you. This is my 20 minutes. You're gonna react. You know. For instance, I've been in a I've been in a situation where a magician walked up to my guests, said, "Can I do magic for you?" Uh-huh. They went, uh, "Oh, they were just in, we were sitting here around having drinks, and no idea who this person was." He was standing around looking for an audience. Right. He pulled my uh, guests into a room. He did magic for them for forty minutes for a very long time, and then when they were talking a little bit, he said, "Excuse me, please give me some respect," and I'm like, 
motherfucker, you asked them to come here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, you, wait, you, you were with them at the Yes, room? I was. And I was like, and I'm just kind of rolling my, you know. They you were a little were, drunk. So you got brought into the room. I did, because I was, I was just... And door- he sees you have like a pin on, and you're like, like, did he know you? Yeah. Oh, interesting. So... Weird. The like, So I see that a lot. It's like, people are doing this magic for, you know, people are... Uh, they're like I, I'm entitled to this. Yeah, it sounds know? like uh, I would characterize it as brittleness. Sure, just being very like it's exactly. got to go the way I want it to go. Anyway, this is a long tie-in back to what I was saying about Magic Bar. But what I was getting at is that people are talking during the show. Oh right, uh-huh. but those the things they're saying are even if they're a little disruptive, even if they're if they're positive and if they're about their enjoyment of the show, right. if they're overall loving things, I tend to not. I'm not going to take an aggressive approach to like, well, they're ruining this momentum. Right. On the flip side of that, and I, I am sort of reconsidering where I draw my line. Ooh. Is I think what happened was is I would try to play off of that. And, you, and you've seen, you know, we've talked about this yeah. before. I think one of my strengths is I'm, I'm a really comfortable improviser with an audience. Right. When it comes to doing a magic show. Right. I trust my instincts on what I will say and do with an audience when it comes to something going off script. That and your hamstrings. Those right. Those are your two main strengths. Yeah. Um, insane hamstrings. I'm, I'm insane <laughs> caps. Uh, so so you're, you're reconsidering how often you engage with this kind of thing? Here's what I noticed. I think what it was is that those were six of about 15 people in that room. Yeah. And, those, and that was the energy, and those were the people I was responding to most because they were the most vocal. Right. In an attempt to sort of be here and be very present. And I've talked about that a lot about sort of being present and how important yeah. that is. I wanted to sort of give off like, hey, I'm here. We're in, you know, there's no wall between us. We're breathing the same oxygen. Right. You're going to say something. I'm not going to pretend like I didn't hear it. I'll joke about it and I'll comment it on, you know. Right. Um, you know, like I, for instance, there was this guy who I, I, part of that group I did the blindfold thing with. I did that thing where I touch his pulse and I do these jokes. And I reached forward to touch his pulse. And the person sitting next to him went, oh, you're not going to find one. And then everyone, they kind of kind of laughed. And I paused for a second and I went, wait, is the implication that he's dead right now? Is that is that what the joke is? <laughs> So there's a lot of that kind of things where I would like try to respond to it, acknowledge it in some way, and then still sort of move on and yeah. sort of at least if I have one hand on the wheel, I can still sort of steer the car. You know, that's that that was the idea. Yeah. Um, what I realized going back the next Tuesday was that if you're on one end of the room, you have no sight line to the people on the other end of the right. room. You have no it's emotional. Not curved at all. Exactly. You're not talking to them. You're you're. It's almost like you're in two different spaces. Yeah, it um, is. So I, I realized is that I think perhaps by only engaging or engaging perhaps too much with these people who are on one end of the room mm-hmm. as a small group, um, you know, about 40% of the audience, that left about 60, 65% of the audience who was not engaged, not connected to um, with these people. Now, if I'm hearing you right, you had 105% of your audience there. Right. Okay. So, so some of them, some of them ate. 30 I'm just saying, some of them ate too much popcorn. Look, I am not East Asian, <laughs> like, like yourself. You can't do magic squares the way I can. Uh, I wonder if part of it is maybe just sharing some time with the other sixty percent. Sure. You know. Yeah. At, I, at whatever they're at. Right. You know. Uh, yeah. Th- so I think that is you know, you, remembering that your audience is not all one group of people. The idea is to kind of make them one group of people. Yeah. I think that is it's where the hard, best though, experience. When you have, like I, I actually don't like groups, like groups within groups, <laughs> like all those. Whenever there's like a birthday party or like, right? It just I mean, standups hate parties and like you know graduation parties because it's it has a similar effect. Sure. What, what now? What's interesting is that I mean that room at its, you know, or any small room in the close up gallery too, like a, a packed close up gallery show. You know, when you are in, all in this very small room and you can all sort of see each other, yeah. it really does foster sort of a oneness that can be very advantageous to a magic show yeah. or very advantageous to any kind of show. When that audience is all sort of breathing in at the to the same beat, you know, I yeah. think and I think Magic Bar can do that pretty well because I think anytime you get a room and you just pack it like ten percent too much, not you know where people can still be comfortable, but you really right. are in there with everyone or five percent too much, one hundred five percent of an audience. Right. Uh, what if you just used interactions with the people in the center at the bar because those are people that almost everyone can see yeah um because in a way like i like when magicians interact with the audience but sometimes like even at the parlor sometimes i can't even hear what the person said right uh, and they're in the second row and i'm in the 10th right um so sometimes it behooves the magician to like just repeat what they said or whatever sure. 
if if the whole thing's becoming part of the performance, then maybe the at Magic Bar, maybe that center part is still mm-hmm. like on the side. They can see them. I can see them take those cards from you and interact. And so that is sort of fair game. Sure. But if you're interacting with someone in that far corner, maybe it's just like better left, or maybe just give them one little moment, but don't right. move on from. Yeah, it. potentially. And I think that is something that I'll have to start paying more attention to in any show I do is. Uh, Insurance. I think here's what happened. At my best, I was connected with the people on the far left, and I was connected on the people at the far right. But the people from on the far left and far right were not connected to each other. Yeah, yeah. So if I'm paying too much attention, a lot of the energy or the sort of spontaneous nature of what is happening in the show yeah. is, is not connecting to one half of the room because it's all the other half of the room bringing it, and the other and, and you know it's all the left half bringing it, and the right half has no idea what the fuck's going on. They I wonder how many. Listeners we have that have done Magic Bar, because Robert listens sometimes. Right. I wonder if Taylor has done Magic Bar. He's been. I don't know if he's done it. Um, he, he's not done it. I been. wonder if you guys, what if you thought about creating one effect that was specifically for like Magic Bar, like the setup? Sure. In yeah. the sense that like Ooh, you had, what if you had, <laughs> yeah, uh, what if you had something that was like physically passed down that back line to everybody or something? Right. If there was some way of like, Physically uniting the whole audience. Yeah, and I, That'd be I, interesting. I, I've thought about that. Um, or like, yeah, there's like a collection jar. Sure, <laughs> <laughs> this will unite everybody. Right. <laughs> um, so that was something interesting about that show. Here, something uh, Ken Weber, I think we're both fans of Maximum Entertainment. Maximum Entertainment, great book. Um, he, I met him once. I was at this is when I was still in the junior program, or just on my way out. Mm-hmm. He every year the junior program hosts a guest lecturer at Brookledge. Uh, all the juniors have this big barbecue at Brookledge. It's a really fun tradition. Wait, Brookledge is Magic Camp? Bro- Brookledge is uh, the home of, I- uh, of Irene Larson. Oh, oh that's right, that's right. Um, yes. And I believe Eric Larson. Uh, uh, but it was Irene's home back in the day, and she would open it to the junior program every year in, uh, every year in August after Future Stars Week, uh-huh. which sort of marked the end of the group's fiscal year. Neat. Um, so it was a big barbecue, and we'd hang out there, and every year Bob Dorian would get gather like some um, really, really high-level lecturer to talk to us for two, two and a half hours. Uh, my first year, it was Teller. Then it was Siegfried and uh, Lance Burton did it one year. Johnny Thompson did it one year. So there's always you got these really, really big names, and it was always a really cool experience. They were very, always very giving with their time. Uh, the Teller one wasn't because I'm just you know some dopey 15 year old. I, I joined the. Is that where your the photo of you and Teller is from? Uh, there's a photo of you and Teller with really long hair. That was a couple months after that. Have you seen that photo? Yes, because I was recently looking for photos of Deep John Carno my, uh, my to Facebook. post on a website to sell tickets for Scotland. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, that was about four months after that um, when they did a show at the uh, Thousand Oaks Civic Center. Ah. Um, I, w- I went to and I, I met him. And I talked to him about that lecture. I thanked him again for it. Uh, and he was very nice. And then we took a picture. And that was what my hair used to look you like. You see John Ricardo's hair back Shoulder then. Shoulder length hair. Looked uh, like you should be the guitarist for Guns N' Roses. Right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um. You can see photos of me as a young child by watching the movie Up. Are you an Up? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm, right. I'm the Boy Scout. The Boy Scout up. Up. That's just based on my life. Right. Well, um, <laughs> a very storied life. Yeah. Uh, so Ken Weber did a lecture once for the junior program at this barbecue. And this was sort of on my way out. And I it was the routine that I was doing in the palace for Future Stars Week. I had a okay. seven-minute mentalism thing, the thing that uh, I just said messed up in front of a whole bunch of people once. Oh. And we were asked, three people were asked to do a routine in front of Ken Weber. And Ooh. he would, in front of everyone, sort of give, give his, direct, notes? Give his directorial oh, notes. Oh, shit. I mean, that's very valuable. It was. It was very valuable. So one thing he said to me was, uh, when I did that, my routine involves um, four people total. It's, it's, it's a convoluted routine to describe. I like to think it's a little clearer when you watch it, I could be wrong. Like that. You can like, hear it in my voice. That that's I'd... a great like self-rationalization phrase. Like, I mean, I would like to think it's better <laughs> when would more people see it. It's just a wallet like prediction. I yeah. people take things out of my wallet. I tell them who picked what and in what order. Right. And then there are three items of four in the wallet that are picked. And then the there's a prediction on stage which predicts the left behind item that no one ever picks. Right. And the rationale I always used was that it was not magic, but for some reason. Every audience picked the exact same three objects in the exact same order. Uh-huh. So what I would do is I would put funnier and funnier things in the wallet, and then I would come up with rationales for why people picked them the way they did, uh-huh. uh, why they picked them in the order they did. Like you picked this second because, you know, now that this first thing was gone, you saw this and it comforted you, or, you know, whatever. Right. So that was the rationale. So the way I would do that is I would have one person in the front. I would say hi to them. They would sort of 
sort of watch the prediction, and in a moment, they would take the prediction out of the envelope and read it out loud. Then I would pass the envelope to three people in the audience. They would stand up. I would talk to them. I would walk them through what to do. They would pass the wallet on, right? Mm-hmm. So basically, and then I at the end, I would do the revelations. The people would stand at their seats, and I would talk to them. I would take the items back. And then at the end of the routine, the first person that I introduced myself to, they would reach in, pull the thing out of the prediction, and then they would read it, and uh, that would be the end of the routine. Uh-huh. Um, when I did whatever variation of that, I've changed it a couple times, the method, whatever variation I was doing at that particular moment. Um, I'm going to turn this lamp on. Sorry, it's kind of dark in here. Yeah. Magic lamp. Awesome. It's got one of those cool magnet lamps. It's pretty cool. <laughs> uh, anyway, so when I did the routine, what he had said to me was a couple things about audience management. He said, one is for every time someone pulled something out of the wallet, I was turning around, I was turning my back to the audience. And he went, you cannot turn your back to the audience, period. Uh-huh. Uh, he said, you you know, it's like, a, it's like a lion tamer turning his back on the lion. He goes, you just can't do it. So not because of um, suspicion reasons, but because of like respect for the audience? Or? No, 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 I think it was, yes, yeah, suspicion. I mean, he goes, you're, you're giving... Oh, it looks too weird. You know, you're giving them, uh, a, yeah, you're giving them something to do and you're turning around you you that then lose complete control of what happens in the audience right, right. from a performance standpoint from a theatrical standpoint to a, a, a standpoint of the method and how the actual trick is going right, right, right. i lose sort of some control which is a very good point i do not necessarily have a remedy for that in a routine where i can't i'm not supposed to see what they're doing maybe they turn around oh, i don't know i see you're turning around so you don't see what they pick yes okay and he was saying that hmm. you can't just you can't turn your back away from the audience huh. fair point um i think some people would probably say that, that is not imperative but i feel like i've seen that in mentalism a lot but maybe they're always turning to the side i mean that might not necessarily be yeah you know the number one rule of mentalism that i'm just not playing by i could just be his rule right which is well informed by a, a fair philosophy of sort of losing control right anyway so i would but the other thing he said to me was um because you have a lot of people involved to tie it back to what we were talking about earlier because you have a lot of people involved in this routine and involved in what is happening yeah. if someone the exact sentence he said he, he, he said a couple things about this but the exact sentence he said was um if, if, a, if a spectator is saying more than two sentences they need to be on stage with you interesting uh to tie it back to what we were talking about you know um that uh, yeah and tying tie back to our discussion with uh robert about right. not using uh audiences right <laughs> so uh yeah, so he was saying that if someone says more than two sentences, because right, as you were saying, you can be in the 10th row of the parlor and you can see and hear the magician, but you can't see and hear the spectator they're talking to. Yeah. Which presumably, in most effects where there is a spectator, they sort of become a lightning rod kind of for the audience. Right. They are often shown things that the audience cannot see very well. They are sort of the the guard, as it were, to make sure that everything is happening fairly. You know, that's why you have the spectator sitting at the table and you, you're, you're shuffling and you, know, you can make sure this is all fair. Right. The spectator being closer is privy to hearing thing, hearing more things and seeing more things than the rest of the audience will. Yeah. So having a connection with that person, knowing who they are, being able to see and hear them and connect with them as part of the show yeah. is a very important experience. Huh. So he would say that anyone that has any sort of role in that, you know, in, in any regard... Uh, needs to be on stage with you so the audience can connect with them. I think right. that was sort of his point. Yeah, I, I, I do think that... He also then privately told me after the fact that he did not like the routine. Did he really? Yeah. <laughs> Actually, that's and very, I, and I was not, generous of them to do that in private. And Yeah, that was very nice. I, I was not offended by it at all oh. uh, because it had flaws that did make sense. Right. Um, I've changed some of the things that I think have made the, the least sense about it. Right. I, I was basically constructing a trick out of a method I came up with a cool method, and I said, oh, I can right. build a trick around this. But then the method didn't make sense. Um, right. Uh, basically, the reveal was happening out of a, at that time, was happening out of a basically gimmicked wallet that could reveal different, it was like a Z-fold wallet that could reveal different predictions. Right. And so I didn't justify why there were two wallets. It didn't really make any sense. Right, right, right. There wasn't like a unity between like, this method, this effect requires this method, it was the other way around, right? Right, yeah, right, yeah. right. It was, this is what the, the, this method, like this method, you know, like I basically said, oh, if, I, I, would ha- I literally handed people in an audience a wallet that was like with tape sealing it shut. Yeah. And then they would cut it open and, and reveal this thing. Not explaining why a prediction had to be in a wallet, why the fuck a wallet has tape on it, you know? 
So I think that might... then you gave a whole backstory. You were in Sicily, right? Your wallet was stolen by children. Yes, and you got found some tape. Right, right. right. Uh, how do you know my script? This uh, is like I mean, this is mostly from the next Derek Dog Audio show. I see. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's interesting. Uh, I, actually, let me tell you about this thing where I realized recently. First of all, that if you build something around uh, Card Shark double deckers, uh-huh. that Something can get very expensive very quickly. <laughs> yeah. Because those things are not cheap. Like 40 bucks, right? Yeah. So um, uh, I've been, th- I think I talked to you about doing like this compatibility test idea right. with two essentially Popeye poppers. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the problem with Popeye poppers is that they're they're vis- kind of visibly only 26 cards. Yeah. So you can do it with a double decker um, and have it be 52 cards, but it's actually 104 cards or whatever. Yeah. But you can make your own. That's why I was a like. A method that I utilized in my show. That's why I was getting the the roughing spray. Yes. Um, and I was asking about how to spray it and stuff like that. So I'll just, this is the idea I have, which is that um, I have these two decks that are like linked to each other. I'm going to get a couple. Uh, I might do this for, I was thinking about doing this for audition, just having two of the committee members be like, you guys have a kinship or whatever. And basically asking them questions that are like, in your ideal relationship, how many children would you have? Uh, three, great, three. And then we'll leave this card out. Um, and then asking them sort of numerical things to get a third and then a third card. And then we'd get to actually we do three. Right. And on the fronts. So this is the original concept was that on the back of all the cards I had written, like a value in life, mm-hmm. like family. I think I talked about this before with you. Yeah, family, this to me. justice, whatever. And so one person would have like you turn the you look at the card and it says family justice. The other ones would be joke ones. This guy would have like you know, uh, sports, booze, whatever. But whatever the third one, they would both have the word love on it. Right. So that seems pretty basic, right? Yeah. Okay, so I got a double-decker. I started making this. And then what I realized was the original concept of this was that they would go like this, uh, faces the backs, faces down, mm-hmm. and then they would both turn on the same card. So it'd be like, oh, you're linked because you both got to the same card. And then right. I was like, oh, let's do it with words instead of cards, uh, right? So then I was like, I'll put them on the back. So I'll do them like this, face up. And you're putting the cards like this so that on the back it says love written on the back. Right. However, the problem with that is that when, um, when, you, when I have to separate this card, um, now, now I can't remember why. I, as I was thinking through it, I was like, this won't work because you'll always see... Uh, what was it? Whatever this like fake card is, it was like it was gonna show up multiple times. Like if that if if this double decker has half the cards always be the five of hearts for me to build that Popeye Popper deck. Right. There's gonna be a bunch of five of hearts in here, and something about it when I walked through it, I was like, I'm going to show the same thing twice in a row or something. Now I can't remember what it was. Anyway, the point is I had to buy two new Popper Pop uh, two new double decker decks. Because now I bought blank ones. So they're going to be just regular faces and blank. I'm just going to write them on the faces. Got it. So then I can do it like that so that then it's still written on this side. Mm -hmm. And that way, right, then when I separate them, it shouldn't. Yeah, it won't. There won't be anything written on the back, so right. there won't. Nothing will be showing. Something about it showing. Also, I don't love showing the faces as you count through them like that because it just is like a bunch of visual information that's like not necessary. Okay. Uh, sure. But it it was just interesting to me that I almost finished making it, and then I was like, oh, I don't want to do it like this, and I was like, now I have to spend fifty eight more dollars right. <laughs> for double decker decks. Rough. I don't know how often people get into like the development of an idea, and then you're just like, oh. I did this the wrong way. That's happened to me. I was also not patient when I was roughing them, spraying. Them. I was oh. like, "Oh, let, you know, I I should have just waited for them to dry." Yeah, you, you gotta wait for a while. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I another question I have about magic, <laughs> and I've sneezed. <clears throat> Go ahead. Another question I have about <laughs> magic is: so I've been listening to uh, some other, against your will, some other podcasts. Well, this has been a lot of fun. Um, <laughs> And this is, I want to expand this to be a more general thing because I guess this is my question. This is true in performance. It's true in comedy as well. But in magic, why are like very well-established magicians, to your point about them being insecure, why are like very well guys with careers so fragile 
about all this stuff. Like I have heard on like three different magic podcasts, like five different guests and either they're fragile about like they were offended by somebody, what somebody said about something or they're offended about like, um, somebody might have marketed an, an effect that's like theirs. Uh, but then it turned out maybe it wasn't or like it's in the grand scheme of things seem like relatively small considerations for someone who has like a thriving career. Right. Right. And it's, it wasn't like one person that was, and then like a fair amount of, um, discussion about like, <laughs> that sounds bad, but a fair amount of discussion of just being sad. <laughs> <laughs> about, about like their magic careers and it was all guys that i was like i think you're awesome like i like i love the stuff you make and like i've seen you do a live show before and like it's just interesting to me like in this last week like happened to me like five times i was listening to stuff here's what i think uh here's what i think part of it is when it comes to like Marketing material, at least. Yeah. Uh, to, I, I, I can't speak to a lot of those. I, I don't have answers for why people are sad. But um, yeah, I, I would say that at least as far as marketing goes when it comes to credit. <clears throat> excuse me. I have a bit of a cold right now. So that's why I'm clearing my throat uh, mm-hmm. so much. And just or do you have a frog in your throat? David Blaine style. Oh, God. <laughs> <coughs> Ribbit. <laughs> <laughs> Ribbit. <laughs> so uh, I think the point to the thing about marketing ma- uh, material it's there are so few laws really governing like copyright or right yeah. uh, and i've seen many debates about whether you can copyright magic anytime somebody wins a copyright battle over a magic trick it is a huge deal most notably from my understanding at least was teller winning the, a um winning a suit this is the like flower cutting this is the flower thing i believe a belgian magician uh was selling it on youtube and through a Las Vegas court, Teller was able to uh, um, get a judge to rule that he had va- violated Teller's copyright on the effect, uh-huh. which is a much more complex issue than I know off the top of my head to be able to talk about the legality of at least uh, right. here. Um, but uh, I think right now we're kind of in the Wild West when it comes to putting out material. Yeah. There's no real rules. I could take something that I, I know and I, or I've seen change a little bit of it and sell it, and it would just be other magicians calling me an asshole was really the only I mean, I approach was, I would face. Like, theoretically, I could, I mean, honestly, I could probably make a reasonable trailer for my Magic Square thing and sell it. Yeah, probably <laughs> Just be like, you know, it works great, like, and just never, like, actually work out the problems with it. And right. Just be like, pay me $5 for it. Uh, yeah, you probably could do that. You know what? I think I will. All right, let's call uh, Murphy's. Well, the thing, I guess the th- um, the the thing about people being sad, it, it just like I've encountered more like existential crises. Well, let's wait for Eric to drive. Yeah, Eric is leaving. He's sick of the menu. He's yeah. He's uh, for for good. I've been told. He, he watched with me beforehand. Said I'm never <laughs> I'm never coming back. Um. So as a little podcast update, I'll be moving in with Chris. Yeah. Um. There'll be a sitcom about us, sort of an odd couple situation. <laughs> um, yeah, that's good. He'll pass by one more time. We'll wait to be too loud. I guess what I was thinking about with the the sad, I've heard a lot of existential crises from magicians in various forms, mm-hmm. and maybe it's because there's not as much money in it as people want. Like, right. People really want to just be able to support themselves and not do other stuff. But there's like in across like three different podcasts, a lot of people just being like, should I quit? <laughs> and like half the time I was like, you have a career like you, or you have the appearance of having a career. I right. Guess. I don't know. It's just, it just struck me that it wasn't like an isolated case. Sure. I was like, Oh my God. Like how many, if I, if I, let's say I listen to all the magic podcasts, would it just be, you know, a series of people just wanting to give up? Oh, my God. That's sad. <laughs> I mean, no one's giving up on this podcast. Right. I might give up on comedy. Yeah. Um, oh, boy. I don't know about that. That's that's a bummer. I mean, I think it can be a very draining thing. I, I see a lot of people that I know that are working a lot, and they, it's tiring. The, the amount, You know, Yeah. it never slows down. Yeah. And a comedian can just walk out onto a stage... You know, sure, yeah, they're also, not not to downplay the difficulty of being a comedian, but a comedian 
and a magician are, in theory, both on the road as much. They're both traveling around as much to different corporate things or, like, colleges, yeah. things of that nature. And a comedian just brings himself, and a magician has to also bring all of their shit. Right, right, right. And right. all of – I hate to say it, um, you know, but the cultural baggage of being a magician. Yeah. You know, that is its own thing. I was thinking that magicians are kind of like uh – in a way, magicians definitely are marginalized in terms of entertainment, but they're kind of like marginalized people in that, like, as an Asian person and as a gay person, you do feel the boundary, and I mean you as an yes. Asian right, right. person. I, of course. Uh, you do feel I, the burden I understand. of representing those populations when you are when you get a job right. or whatever. And I do feel often it's talked about magic, about, like, you might be the only magician a person sees the whole year, so right. you feel the burden of, like, represent it and you feel the burden of other people's representations of it before you even walk in the door yes absolutely yeah i mean every magician every, everybody i know has been compared to or asked about shin Lim in the past six months yeah right he is culturally like he, he is po- in popular culture is the number one magician right now yeah uh so that the level of re- representation sort of trickles down and then that becomes the standard of what magic is right and so you're compared to that uh, Although, um, like, sort of historically, not a bad comparison to be made compared to, like, who that guy could have been in sure. years past. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, I, I mean, I feel like you would prefer to be compared to Sh- – or, like, brought, Shin Lim brought up as opposed to Chris Angel. Yeah. is a much further thing from what you do. Sure. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, but I would love it to be – to get to a point where I'm not compared to any of them. And, I you know, when people see me as with a fresh – Sort of a, f- a fresh understanding of what they're gonna, you know yeah. what I mean? Nobody, I know, no stand-ups one. Stand ups like that too, though. Is it? Yeah, stand ups are like, I mean, people, like, first I, of all, like my fa- who's your favorite comedian right now? My favorite comedian, I don't know, Tignatar. We'll just say Tignatar. Okay. I, well, that's, that's a, I think a bad example to your point, actually, because I don't think any, uh, Tignatar is great, but I don't think yeah. anybody goes into a comedy show being like, well, that's what I like, so that's what I'm, think this will be like that's what comedy is right right right, right. I, at the same virtue for me my favorite comedian right now is uh john mulaney yeah I, and i who is huge right now yeah. um and i don't think anybody goes into a comedy show being like well i like john mulaney so i i and i've seen john mulaney so this is kind of what must this must whole thing must be like yeah no no i i agree with you because comedy has a much more um if somebody says that comedians we're gonna go see a stand-up comic the expectation these, these of what you'll see. People don't have like a, we're going to see X, Y, and Z. We're right. going to see some jokes is right. all it is. I think even now people are like, there are some stand-ups who do more crowd work. There's some stand-ups who do more storytelling. Mm-hmm. So they don't walk in being like, it's a guy with a rabbit and a hat. Right. Um, so some of that's just um, maybe how much they've seen. Uh, however, every improviser has definitely been talked to about whose line is it anyway. Oh, sure. Like as soon as improv is brought up. Sure. That is, I, I don't know if I've mentioned this to you before, um, but I talked to, I'm, sh- I'm sure we've talked about this, but I do think improv, I've said almost that exact thing you just said. Improv, I think is very s- similar to magic in the sense that it is, uh, this pretty big cultural force that does exist and is very popular. Yeah. However, it is still misunderstood, to the to the point where a bat a, a fresh eyes watching it for the first time that'll basically be their understanding of what it is. A bad yeah. improv show will ruin improv for someone who hasn't seen it before. Right. The same way bad magic will. And then the same cannot be said about stand up comedy, music, um, theater, TV, movies. Yeah. Can or you imagine if someone heard saw one concert and they were like, "I don't like music." Exactly, <laughs> it's inconceivable. Right. It truly is. But with you know, and and um, Ben would open Magic Bar with this. Uh, uh, um, this idea that like magic sort of represents other magic yeah. in a way that other arts don't have to, and in fact, that's why um, Ken Weber. I don't know if he. I can't remember where he explicitly says this in his book, but he said it at this lecture. I, I've, I've heard him say, heard him say, you know, I do not feel uncomfortable going up to other performers and after a show telling them if I did not like it, if I had problems, if I don't know these people. He goes because, and then that's that. That's kind of the first time I'd heard someone articulate that idea that magician, you you know, you represent other, you represent me when you perform. Right, right. So he, the, he was talking about magicians. Yes, he was talking about. Magicians. He wasn't like he goes to a Beyonce concert. No. and he's like, can I get backstage because I got some thoughts. <laughs> right. Um, why all the single ladies? It's like <laughs> what, some of them, most of them. Just talk about your experience. Beyonce, you cannot. Beyonce, turn your you're back. married. 
Beyonce, when you get the peak off that parapad, you can't turn it back. <laughs> Whatever the middle of Beyonce, Beyonce at Coachella, the middle part of it was just mentalism. Right, she does a magic square. <laughs> I mean, the owner of the Los Angeles Lakers, Jeannie Buss, did stand up. So who oh, knows? Did he really? Yeah. Oh, man. Um, so anyway, that was his point was I don't feel bad telling you that you did something wrong because damn. you expect you you represent me. Now, how often is he actually going to do that? Probably I want to see much. a private conversation between him and Max Maven Ooh. just to be like, you could have been one of the greats. Right. Um, uh, but like, yeah, but, I, but my, my friend and I were talking about this, that if I if someone sees a bad improv show, they go, well, I fucking hate. Yeah, improv, and I would my my guess is that, and I've, I've I, Lauren Lapkus said this in an interview. I'd be curious to see if you echoed it. She was basically saying like there is a lot of really really bad improv out there. A lot of people that are kind of doing improv on stages probably shouldn't be, mm-hmm. and that bums me out because then a lot of people see. She's like everyone should take an improv. Yeah, you know, when I hear you know so and so's mom is taking improv or whatever, yeah, that she's like that's great. Everyone should take improv. She goes, but don't necessarily the people that are doing improv are not always the right people to be doing it. And then audiences see it and go, Oh, I don't like improv. When- yeah. I don't know because there's a huge part of improv that is improv students kind of doing improv for other improv students. Sure. Well, so, that's certainly in a big city like, in LA and Chicago. Yeah. It's like a hobby, but even in small cities though, in small cities, improv becomes like a little community of just friends kind of doing shows for each other. Oh really? That happens a lot. And it's not a bad thing. It becomes almost a little, social community one one of the hard parts about that is is that often these places want to be businesses too so they're in between almost like a secular church and a business right because they want to the the hardest part is when you're like we have this improv school we have this community now saturday nights we want to have two teams of eight people that are the best of the best and that's when it becomes a problem right because then you're like but i took improv here for four years and I should be on that show. And the person in charge is like, yeah, but you're not good enough. Right. That That's what Splinter's... Well, the guy who's been here for six months is way better. I mean, it splinters almost every improv community. Sure. And that's why then like every small town... This is what's crazy is you'll go to a small town like, let's say, Columbus, Missouri. Uh, I've never been there. Don't know. Just as an example. And they'll have one improv theater. And then like three, three years later, they'll have three improv theaters that are each cannibalizing the same group of people right because there's like these internecine like wars between oh my this God. person doesn't i mean it happens over and over that's so sad uh, it, yeah it's it's very sad um improv one of the few fields of performance that pays worse than magic <laughs> <laughs> considering the best improvisers in the world pay get paid zero dollars how many shows am i seeing that like anytime like i follow wild horses i think wild horses are great uh, which, do you, are you familiar with them? I don't think so. It's, it's Lauren Lapkus, Stephanie Allen, Mary oh, Holland, okay, and Aaron yes, Whitehead. Uh-huh. Uh, they're really, really good. They do like uh, Largo and Dynasty typewriter. Um, if you see them at Largo, they're getting paid. Uh, yeah, well, so uh, they do tours. They'll be like, we're going to Boston. We're going yeah. to Philadelphia. So I wonder at that point, you know, like, or, yeah, they're getting paid for that. Are for Jess sure. and Zach getting paid for their off book tours? For going to like, like Sketchfest Moon and stuff? Tower? Yeah, yeah. I'm sure they are. Mm-hmm. Um, off book. Uh, uh, you've been on that a couple times, right? I've uh, been there once. Yeah. I've been there once. Okay. I do a show with them every Thursday, you guys, if you like Zach and Jess. Magic to do. They're very good. Um, so anyway, my, my point about magic and improv was that. Uh, there, there's. I think they are similar in the in the sense that people watch them and they that is their impression of those things, and they'll also of course immediately compare it to the other place they've seen it, which in your case would be Who's Line, right? I said they are very similar. A friend of mine though, who's uh, studied improv at UCB, um, and is, I think uh, last I talked to him, looking to try you know take some classes at other places like the Pack Theater, just to kind of broaden his his education um, and different styles. Uh, he was saying that because the difference is, he said there are different types of magic. You could watch someone do a stage illusion show and they go, oh, fuck, I don't like that. I must hate magic. But you could take them to, you know, a card magic show and mm-hmm. it would be a different experience. Or, you know, you and he, I've talked to him a lot about these things. So he knew, like, what manipulation was and the styles of manipulation acts that I really like. He goes, that's also a different thing. Right. You could take them to that. Maybe they like that more. Or you could take them to this sort of comedy magic show. Or you could take them to this sort of thing. He goes, the disciplines of magic, from he's a layperson talking about this, he goes, feel differently enough that you could bring them a different experience experience to try to rehabilitate them he goes but if they've seen one improv show they've kind of seen them all if they if they didn't like it you know if they didn't like it the essence of what improv is is going to be carried across all of them 
Yeah, I guess that's so. that was a bit more that was a bit more black and white than I think I, I think that I, no, I think no, no, it makes no. an interesting point. I think it's definitely more consistent across the board than magic for sure. Right. Um, I do think that like there's gigantic differences between like taking someone to a Herald team show at UCB and going to like a Chicago improv show, but I, I mean. T- but the differences are gigantic to me, right? You know, not to you. And you always have to I mean, exactly. You probably see um, gigantic differences between one close-up magician and another. Sure, in and ways that you probably don't. Yeah, first. first what's your? What you notice more and more every time we go to the castle? Together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, mostly because I hear you being like, "Ugh," right? Next you, to me. <laughs> you, a lot of the times, I'm not even saying it. You're just feeling the energy, <laughs> and afterwards, you were like. You didn't really like that. I'm like, no, I didn't like that. How did you know? <laughs> I mean, it's not that hard to read you sometimes. That's, imp- that's impressive because I try really hard to be a great audience member because I think most magicians yes, are resting you, bitch face. You, you clap with a fervor that I can't muster. Yeah, I clap. I, Even I, when I like it something. I clap and I laugh at the jokes. Yeah. Uh, I, I I try to be the audience member that I want you in my show. You almost said like, like that like an old Italian man. I clap and I laugh at the jokes. <laughs> I laugh at the jokes. <laughs> there was a Baby Wants Candy show recently that was like 50 minutes into an hour long, 50 minutes into a 55 minute show. My friend John Hartman, who's in Baby Wants Candy, had to just, he was, uh, oh, the, tide, the name of the show was The Last Supper Was Just Another Seder. And so we were doing The Last Supper and the plot went in a weird direction and we didn't end up being in the position to, for that painting to be made of the last supper. So John Hartman had to play a character that was only for, it was only like a five line character. And at the end of this hour long show, he comes on and he's like, I'm here to make it a painting. <laughs> <laughs> and like all of us couldn't handle, it was just such a strong <laughs> Italian accent at the end of this, like never seen this character before, never seen him again. It's like, Oh, what? Where's everybody going? I was here to make it the painting. Right. <laughs> oh, I love I love that old Italian accent. Uh, it's great. Um, so uh, it, the well, we can talk about it next time. But like, I actually, the same night that you were rusty and doing Magic Bar, I actually did another stand up uh, open mic. Oh, cool! Which I haven't go? done in a while. Uh, well, the funny thing is, I did a show like a month ago. Where I was like, oh, I'm not really prepared for this. And I did a lot of like crowd work and stuff. And it was it went really well. And so Monday night, I was like not very prepared. And I was like, oh, kind of just like. Where was it? Uh, a place called Leg Day. Okay. Um, uh, it's like a private open mic. It's a very nice open mic. If anyone wants to know, hit me up. Um, but uh, I did it. And it was like, it went okay. And it was more. And it was like definitely like I was similarly rusty. Right. Um, where the. I would end something and think about like, well, I've got another two minutes to fill. And like, I really couldn't think of anything to say. Right. Uh, and then I was like, okay, well I guess I'm done that void that, that shows up when you haven't been up there for a while. Um, so my email's in for the audition. Great. Since this podcast has two goals. One is to get for me to audition and get in the castle. Right. The other is for you to win FISM. Yes. So I'm making more progress on my goal than you on yours. That is, Technically true. <laughs> I mean, yours is arguably more, slightly more difficult than mine. Potentially. Yeah. <laughs> It'd be great if you just like knocked it out. Oh, by the way, guys, I won FISM over the yeah. weekend. <laughs> oh, which reminds me, this past weekend, uh, yeah, I won FISM. Oh, sweet. Yeah. Well, then you beat me to the, the goal. Yeah, I know I had to. Um, that is, I, I mean, I spent the, most of my time with Shoot on that tour talking about that. And we oh, talked cool. about it every day. And it's one of the, it's, it's one of the only things I think about day to day and in fact I'm kind of right now making the effort to put that in my pocket to focus on the fringe because I'm a little behind on that uh, oh do you see them as distinct things yes interesting they're completely separate things is I, there any way that you can use the fringe to get you to f- do some of your fism ish material potentially I mean uh, I would consider that because you have the benefit of a space and you will given that we changed the venue you will have an audience like I was going to tell you the concerns you had about like not having audience to uh-huh. be up there, I think won't be as big an issue. Sure. It's because our new venue is at 1.30 p.m., which is a good slot, and it's in an area that lots of people walk through. Cool. So the we will I bet we will always have like ten people. Is cool. My, is my guess. Okay. So um I, I don't think you'll ever be in a situation where there's only two people sitting in there and and you've got to. You right. Know. Besides, like I have 
seven cast members in the other show I'm producing, I can just make them come watch your show. Right. Every um, day. Yeah. The well, other thing I actually, seven. I mean, well, I bet you will. So Baby Wants Candy, who's also going to the Fringe, will have a bunch of college students as interns. Uh-huh. I bet cause they'll get to see your show for free. Uh, I guarantee. Uh, not if I have anything to say about it. <laughs> <laughs> I guarantee. They got to pay the Accardo tax, baby. I guarantee they will come see your show multiple times. I mean, if I was a college intern and I got to see a magic show for free, right? Um, I would do it. Speaking of which, other magic shows that you and I can see for free because they're the same producing company as where you're performing. Mm-hmm. Morgan West, cool, and Luke Germain. Oh, cool. So, so no, they can come see me for free. Yeah. Okay. Uh, no Koreans, as far as I can tell, so far. No, oh, no snap. They're on Broadway right now. Right, they're in Broadway. I don't think they're coming. They plus they were already at Fringe, so I don't know if they will. But well, I don't know. Well, maybe there, there's probably some Korean in Scotland somewhere that'll do some card manipulation for you. Um, how much? How long have we been on? Uh, about now. We're good. Okay. I was gonna ask because uh, if you want to talk about the uh, the TV thing I did a few months ago. Oh yes. But uh, we can save that. Let's save it for next week. Let's save it for next week. Cool. Uh, there's a project that I'll talk about next week. Well, boy, sorry to leave that cliffhanger. Audience. Yeah. We'll see you next week. See you next week, everybody. <laughs>